I'm Emily Kyle, and this is Local. This is a conversation with ex-Queenstown resident... Michael Onions. We recorded together while he was in town for his high school reunion. question that I have been asking locals is, um, how would you describe yourself? Well, obviously I'm, I'm an ex-local. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, recently retired from work, uh, enjoying a bit of free time. Pretty much love growing up in Queenstown and because of the uh, work situation in 1976, uh, I moved to Hobart to find work. But mm. currently, yeah, just enjoying life now. Mm. Wonderful. We always start at the at the beginning of a person and I think um, that's a that's a perfect place to start. Uh, so were you born in Queenstown? Uh, yes, yeah, born in Queenstown in 1954. Beautiful. Mm. And what was your family like? What was your upbringing like? Oh, probably typical of a, a lot of families in Queenstown. A lot of the, lot of the men worked at the mine. And uh, the mums were stay-home mums back in those days, of course, and raising the family. Uh, there was five children in our family. Um, yeah, it was pretty typical. It didn't seem, back in the day, didn't seem to be a lot of money, you know, to go around. But we, having said that, we never went without, you know, we never went hungry. There was always food on the table. We were always well-fed, looked after, well-dressed normally, but, hmm. Uh, but it would be typical of a lot of families in Queenstown back in those days. Mm. Mm. What was your relationship with your father like? Oh, well, my dad was, uh, dad being a shift worker, it seems probably odd to say this, but we didn't seem to see a lot of him, you know, but uh, when we did, we, we got on okay. We didn't have a lot of excursions with dad, you know, a few times he'd take us out to Pearl Creek fishing out there and just basically taught us what to do. You know, this is what you do and then you're on your own sort of thing, you go and do it. So, yeah, we, we got unreasonably real. Like I said, Dad was a hard worker and he was either, he worked shift work and so if he was uh, not at work, he was probably in bed and another weekend they'd, they'd be having a few beers, you know. But, um, yeah, yeah, we got on okay. Got and, uh, you know, what, what kind of, what was life like for a young Mick Onions. What did little Mick get up to? Ah, well, that's a, that's a good question and I like that question because I have some very, very fond memories of being young in Queenstown, especially before the age nine. Uh, Dad was a fireman on the App Railway and we were pretty lucky, I think, to be able to, not infrequently, <laughs> be able mm. to go ride to Strawn and back uh, in the engine. Not in the carriages, in the engine, and um, got to meet all the, the line workers at down the railway line. Uh, also, the wharfies at Strawn. I used to have lunch in the pub at Regatta Point, and I used to drink a lot of cordial back then. <laughs> They'd all buy you a cordial, 
Yeah, so that that was pretty special. I think I think the drivers and the firemen took it in turns at weekends and school holidays to basically sneak their kids on board. It wouldn't be legal, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I do remember yeah playing playing on the on the river banks at uh, Double Barrel and um, you know places like that. And yeah, it was it was, it was a great time. I, I do remember that it was really really good. Uh, a few years ago, I travelled back down on the on the. Uh, Wilderness Railway, as it's called now, and I had some. Yeah, I was a bit nostalgic. It was, I said, really, really, really good memories. A couple of times, my brother and I travelled together. We was allowed to go down together, and it's quite good. On the app, of course, as you, you're probably aware, it's, it's quite slow the train going up. And if Dad knew that he was going to be taking one of the kids or two of us for a trip the day before, he'd stop off, jump off the train of Springs there, and he'd put a bottle of lemonade in there. So the next day we'd be going up and he said, I'd be back in a minute and he'd hop off the train while it was moving mm. slowly and uh, then you see him come back up up the side of the train and jump back, back up with a nice icy cold bottle of lemonade. <laughs> I sort of wondered, where'd you get that from? <laughs> and it took a little while to, to work out that that's what he was doing. He'd, that was a spring that he'd popped them in. Mm. Oh, that was quite good. That's lovely. What a beautiful memory. Oh, it's great. We used to climb along the carriages and they stopped at Double Barrel. They used to... Um, take the blister copper down to Strawn to be laid on the ships to, to transport away. And um, we'd find a rock or something and have a milk bottle and get down and bang the blister copper off the the, the um, anodes, I think it was, or cathodes, one or the other, and used to bang the blisters off and fill up a milk bottle with it you know, of copper. <laughs> and I lost that a long time ago. But, uh, yeah, that was one of the things we did. Um, one another memory I do have, I, can't, I wouldn't remember his name, of course, but he used to... He was one of the workers. I think they actually lived at Double Barrel, one of the caretakers. Mm. And I do remember that he taught me how to carve a wooden propeller. Oh. And he got the piece of timber off the side of the station, which was a King, was King Billy weatherboards, and he broke a piece wow. off and taught me how to carve a propeller. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just stuff like that, you know. It was simple stuff, but it was, it was great stuff to grow up with, you know. Mm. Obviously no electronics back then. <laughs> No, no, it's a, they, they're such incredible memories and mm. what, an, what an interesting way to grow up, to see all of these things and experience these things. I mean, I, I know I personally have never experienced anything like that. Oh, well, you know, it, 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 it was commonplace for us back then, but when you look back at it, you know, later in life and you think, gee, we, we were pretty lucky like that. You know, I think lucky growing up in Queenstown, uh, a lot, of, a lot of country places would be similar. You went out to play and the rules were come home when the streetlights come on mm. or come home before it gets dark, you know, make sure you aim for your tea. And that was that was what it was like. Mm. Now, school holidays and weekends, of course, and, uh, during the week it was, you know, do your homework and get to bed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. I, do, um, I do remember when we first spoke, you know, a few months ago, you were telling me about the Wharfies and I was speaking to a, a couple of different people since then about about the Wharfies and uh, they seem to be a pretty rough and tumble kind of crowd, uh, pretty pretty staunch, pretty, uh, oh, yeah. you know, and as a as a wee lad back in the day, you know, yeah. how were they, how did they treat you? How were you? Oh, good, good. You know, it, um, no, they would be pretty hard men. Mm. You know, they worked hard and they, they lived hard. But that was like back in the day, they were, they were there to make a living, that was their job. Mm. But I do remember 
uh, one one of the trips to Strawn, and I probably learned something quickly here. <laughs> uh, probably one of the first ones I had. So this is all pre nine years old, of course. The, the, the railway stopped in sixty three, oh. so there wouldn't have been any more rides after that, of oh. course. So it's all oh, pre nine, so it's pretty young. Um, and I do remember two incidents. Let's talk about the wharfies then. Uh, one of the probably the first trip that I, I do remember. Um, so the train and get to Regatta Point around lunchtime and um, as things were taking place out in the yard and doing whatever, turn the train around, whatever, the wharfies would be having lunch and lunch would be in the pub, you know, so there was a few beers going around and I do remember sitting up on a bar stool and they would say, which cordial would you like? And they used to have all the cordials in the shop. I'd say, I'll try that one. I'll have that one. And I'd, <laughs> I don't know how many cordials I had, but it was enough to make me vomit. <laughs> I, I was quite ill. Um, too much cordial. Uh, <laughs> and they even had, um, I do remember another time there, they had a, oh, was a guy playing a lager phone. You know what a lager phone is? No. It's a broomstick and it's 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 got bottle tops fixed to it. Now, two it or screwed to it. Oh, fantastic. So when you jiggle it up, yeah, it makes a noise, it jiggles. And he had a he had a stick that he was bouncing that up and down and playing the rhythm with it. And I think the other guy had a, a little piano accordion, a little squeeze box. Yeah. And I was all in having a sing-along in the lunchtime, you know, yeah. having a few beers. So it's just stuff like that, I remember. Uh, another another memory from there was there was a big circle of men outside the pub Mm. I sort of pushed my way through to have a look and I remember this and I think it was the local policeman at the time was having a fight with one of the wharfies. Oh, no. <laughs> so there was a bit of a bit of bad blood there and they decided that they'd have a bit of a bit Have it out. I can't remember who won. I think I got pushed out of the circle, out of it. I don't, don't know, but I do remember that as well. So, you know, they just sort of stuck in your mind. Yes, yeah. as it would. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's all, all pretty good stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's it's incredible when you look back on on your childhood or anyone looking back on their childhood and the things that the things that we remember as adults. You mm. know, I think a lot of the time parents think, "Oh, this is fine; they probably won't remember." <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I I don't know how young I was then. I'd I'd have to be at six or seven. I'd have to be. I don't think I would have been on the train younger than that. Mm. Mm. Uh, another one that I do was quite vivid, and I never forgot this. Uh, for subsequent rides, I almost fell out of the train going over the quarter mile bridge. Oh no! <sighs> hey, I was standing at the doorway, just looking out, and holding onto the side rails, the rails, just sort of leaning out a little bit, and I lost my grip, one hand. <gasps> And swung out the door. Oh my goodness! Mm. I think your mother would have killed your father. I don't, I don't think she knew about that, but anyway, so <gasps> Dad grabbed it, pulled me in, grabbed hold of me, and said, "Right, sit there on the little <laughs> seat." And I, I didn't move for the rest of the trip, and I'd never done that again. Oh my goodness! <laughs> that was a scary one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, that sort of stuff, but it, but in Queenstown itself, you know, just like the, the freedom we had back then as kids. I know you walk out the door, see you later. Off you go up the hill, mm. you know, like walk out to Pearl or go down the railway line to Halls Creek and, and go fishing, stuff like that. So it's yeah. just, just, just the freedom we had about, you know, being able to go and do that sort of stuff, mm. you know. It's, it's, that's how I, that's how I view it. It's, it's like a freedom. You had no fear of anyone picking you up and 
abducting you or any of that stuff, you know, none of that back then. It's, it's, these are days when everyone used to leave their doors open. No one locked doors in Queenstown. Mm. Mum wanted a cup of sugar and the lady across the road was her name. She'd, she'd go and borrow it and she'd send it back <gasps> later. But that's the way people were. She said, oh, yeah. look, I got, I got some sugar off you and I'll give it back to you and I'll pick some up tomorrow. That's the way it was. Speaking of your mother, what was your relationship with her yeah, like? Yeah, pretty good, yeah. Did you feel close? Yeah, I would say so, yeah. Mm. Yeah, pretty good. good. Were you the... The eldest? No, or? no, my brother, my brother Alan's the eldest of the family. I yeah. was second eldest, yeah. Oh. Yeah. And That's lovely. Someone someone just a little bit older to protect you so you don't have to have the burden of the rest of the children by yourself. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you close to your siblings? Absolutely, yeah. yeah we, mm. we all get on very, very well. Um, back to growing up there was, you know, like you got an older brother who didn't want to hang around with him and his mates, and that, that was common. <laughs> mm. That was common. You sort of stuck with your own, your own age group, you know. But I, I wanted to do what my brother was doing, and oh, uh, yeah, no way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is a, there is a bit of that, you know, looking up to the older brother, and yeah, that that wanting to wanting to be like them, you know, you do what they did. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, you just had you had to wait your turn, basically. Hmm. I think that's how it worked. <laughs> <laughs> hey. And when when was it that you eventually left Queenstown? Why why did you leave? No, oh, in 1976 when um, the, the copper price plummeted, Mount Lowell halved their workforce. Hmm. I think it was 750 employees got put off and I was one of those, same as my brother, my hmm. dad, uh, my uncle. Wow. So just, just some of the members of the family, so there, was, there was a lot of others. I mean, it was, it was a very hard time for people in the town. Uh, and I rem- remember that. I couldn't believe it. Um, I was working. Um, I was at Mount Lyle. I'd, I'd finished my plumbing apprenticeship and I'd end I'd up going underground for a while. I was working underground and I was in a gang it's like a like a pool gang underground, mm. and they sent us down to clean out the old machine shops, clean out all this gear. So I was going to use it for something. And Herb Cook, who was one of the engineers, was going through to this meeting. And when when he came back through, I said, "How did it go, Herb?" And he said, "Not good." I said, "Ah," oh, he said, "There's half the workforce to go." And my 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 response to him was, "Oh, bullshit." Yeah, you know, no, yeah. he, he was not bullshitting. It was correct. It was a half the workforce um, got put off, and I think it was about fifteenth of December. Oh no! I think I think I, I just I, the fifteenth of December ringing a bell for some reason. I didn't look it up, but I, I think it was then. So it wasn't a good time for a lot of people, a lot of families in Queenstown. Yeah, not good at all. Do you know how they determined who they were going oh, to let go? No, of? no, I don't. I, no, no, I would say there's so people, people sitting down from, doing the numbers, yeah, and calculating how many they needed to keep the place running and and how little it would cost them to run it. God, it's a simple economics, you know. It was it certainly was a bit of a blow. That just seems to go against so much of of how you were. Describing your childhood here, yes. you know this point, this this freedom and this community, yeah. uh, and to I can't imagine what a devastating blow that must have been well, to so many families. Mm. 
terrible. Because I, because uh, coming into school days and that, once you at high school, you knew you had to achieve a certain academic level mm. if you wanted to get an apprenticeship. You know, so that's that was that was your future. You know, for the for a lot of lot of the kids was get an apprenticeship and work in Mount Lyle. I mean, it's been here forever. It's not going anywhere, you know, so you're pretty much sure of getting a job and pretty much sure of keeping your job. Mm. And that's just just how it was. And, uh, yeah, sadly in the 70s, moving forward to 76, it just copper price went down. Yeah. So it was all running around going, what do we do now? <laughs> yes, I imagine that that moment changed the the culture of the West Coast dramatically. I, th- I think so in Queenstown it did. I think there was a, a, a big era of depression over the place, uncertainty of course. I used to come back when I left, I went to Hobart to try to find work and I found work down there and stayed there. Um, but I used to come back and visit mum and dad quite often mm-hmm. and um, you, st- you still notice that, you know, it's it was subdued mm. in the town and, um, yeah, so when mum and dad moved down to Hobart, um, I didn't come back as often. Mm. But the last couple of times I've been up, I noticed uh, last time I was up, it was probably about five years ago, the mood sort of changed a little more. And this time, even though it's very, very quiet of a night, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's there seems to be a bit of... Uh, uh, Bit of hope in the town, I think. Mm. That's what it looks like. I mean, places are looking a lot brighter, and I know that's probably not hundred percent correct because you, know, you see the empty shop fronts mm. in the main road, which is not not great. But there does seem to be a bit of hope in the town, you know. And the people I've sort of spoken to seem a bit, bit more cheerful. Mm. That's just that's just my yeah. My assumption you can that. feel an uplifting happening. Mm. Do you think that that is attributed to uh, a more directed focus into arts and tourism? Yes, de- oh, definitely tourism. I'm well, coming back to the rail. Um, when they did close that in sixty, my sixty three, my dad was one of quite a few. I should imagine. And you used to say all the time they should keep it open and use it for a tourist attraction. And he was really? saying that back then. He was saying that back then. And uh, someone, one of the crockers mm. was actually had a crew that was down there actually clearing away parts of the rail. Yes. You know, to try to keep that hope alive and get it up and running. So, yeah, so he's, you know, they could, people could see that back then. Mm, it's, it's, the potential. It's, it's quite unique. Mm, it is. And it's a beautiful trip, yeah. So, so yes, so I don't know, maybe if they started that <laughs> back then, <laughs> I don't know. But now it's good to see it. I know I know that it's fully booked most of the time. So yes. even with the, the current climate with COVID, you know, it seemed to be getting quite a number of people into the town at the moment. Yes, so I think that in a way if there is – if if you could say there was a silver lining to COVID, uh, which I mean there isn't, but one of the potentially positive things that has come out of it is that I feel that the state itself, Tasmania as a whole, has really come together in a really beautiful way. I see a lot of people travelling back and forth between the West Coast and the and the East Coast and going from Hobart up into Devonport and there's this energy of wanting to explore your own home, which I think is really positive. 
Yes, absolutely. I, I, yeah, you see that there's, there's a lot of people travelling around. I've been to places in Tassie in the last six months that I'd never visited. Mm. You know, <laughs> I, even though I was, I was born on the West Coast and spent 20-odd years here, I'd never been to Marawa. Wow. I'd never been to uh, the Pyman River. You know, it's so funny. I, I remember when I first moved here, I was having a conversation with someone and they, I was asking about Cradle Mountain and they had said, oh, don't bother going to Cradle Mountain. It's not it's not any good. And um, and I said, oh, okay, when, when was the last time that you went there? And they said, oh, I've never been there. Yeah, well. <laughs> been in Queenstown for 40-odd years, but never I've never been never been oh, there. I've, I've been there. <laughs> but I did, I did get the opportunity a little while ago. I was, you know, now I've got a bit of time and... I've got um, family that live on the northwest coast as well now, mm. and uh, I go and visit them. And we've done a few trips down through that way to have a look. We're going back there. There's, there's a fair bit to see mm. down near the Pyman, and yeah, so that's yeah, there is there is a lot to see in Tassie. There is. But, and again, you come back to my childhood days. I guess um, we did each Christmas, and we had a, a, a friend had a caravan, yeah. and we used to call him our uncle, Uncle Frank. We called him. And um, we all travelled away for holidays somewhere. So it might be the Devonport Bluff or um, Scamander on the mm. East Coast, Binalong Bay, Bruny Island one year, Adventure Bay. So we, every year we'd, we'd go away for three weeks towing this van from Queenstown and there used to be your mum, dad, uncle Frank and five kids. Oh, that's a big trip. In, in a Holden. <laughs> <laughs> Town the caravan. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, a couple of times we travelled, they, they hired a caravan at the bluff one year, and then then Frank bought bought a caravan. So um, yeah, they they were good trips. They were different. So we got to see a bit of the state back then as well. Mm. You know, back in the early days. But uh, I remember um, been along Bay. I think there was um, a timber toilet block. That's all that was there. There was no electricity. Really? Yeah, that, that was that, that was it was very very rudimentary, <laughs> you know. But you just just like camping, it was good. Um, yeah, so that was in the old days. I know it's it's quite quite good now. It's got a lot of amenities there now. Yeah, that's something that I've I've discovered about people in Queenstown. Big campers. Everyone seems to have some kind of shed at the heads. Uh, oh. Everyone's going somewhere in their caravan or yep. or their van. It's um, yeah. I've I've never been in a community that that camps so much. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, so a little bit older. Uh, yeah, a lot of people. That's the pastime. Lot, it just yeah, it was pastime. Just go. You know, go get away for the weekend or a long weekend or get away for a few days. And I, I still love doing that now. Mm. I mean, you know, I do a fair bit of fishing and, you know, get away and stay overnight, stay a couple of nights camping in the bush. I find it a bit hard getting up off the floor in a tent now, though. <laughs> 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 yeah, so look, looking for a few more uh, comforts. Yeah, yes. Yeah, get a little bit older, but, yeah. And so there's nothing better than, you know, mm. sitting there, sitting out with a rod in and, Couple of beers, feed up, nice big campfire going. Yes. You can't, yes, you, you really paint a you, picture. You can't beat that. No. It's beautiful. Hey. Coming back to uh, when you left the West Coast and then later on when your parents left the West Coast, how did you feel about having to leave? Was that hard? Um, no, it was a necessity. Hmm. Um, 
and I didn't I didn't find the, the decision to leave difficult hmm. because it was a necessary thing to do. If I, if I'd stayed here, there was no work, you know, hmm. um, and what would I do? Spend my time in the pub, <laughs> you know, and that, that was the thing. And I thought I knew, well, i got two ways to look at this. I could stay here and see if it picks up or do this, but the fact of the matter is 750 people gone from a workforce, even, at, even as young as 20 or whatever I was, 21, um, you know, you knew, you really knew that there's the future of working here was very, very slim. So it almost feels like um like a betrayal. It almost feels like the the company betrayed the people that made the town a community. You you could look at it that way. Mm. You could look at it that way, but you you look at it in the business sense. Mm. You can't you can't run a company at a continual loss. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> and I'm sure if there was another way that they they could have done it, they would have done. But that's that's the sad fact of the matter. Mm. Um, the price of copper was bottoming out and had been low for quite some time, and I was hopeful on, you know, the the price going back up. It didn't. It was also they were going deeper and further to get the copper, which the production costs were higher. Mm. So, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say they'd betrayed the town. They've been mm. here a long time, yes. <laughs> like 100 years, a lot more than 100 years. So, no, I was, mm. it was just it was a business decision. They would have found it hard to do, I should imagine. They, they would, think so, yeah. And it was, well, they, they were hated, don't worry. There was, there was a lot of hate towards Mount Lyle Company back then. I feel I think that also I'm I'm quite a sentimental creature myself <laughs> and I just think gosh you know this this childhood that you're talking about this was your home this was your home and mm. and needing to leave it out of necessity because there was nothing left for yeah. you here. Oh, it's pretty sad when you yeah. look at it that way it's pretty sad. Um it's a shame. but you didn't have a choice. Yeah. Oh you did but you, you know. I don't know what I'd be doing now if I'd stayed here. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you what did you go on to do? I know when we spoke, you were you said that you were pretty uh, unhappy in your work life for a long time. Oh yeah, I didn't find it great. I went when I went down to Hobart. It took me a little while to get work. Mm-hmm. Um, I was when I left Mount Lyle, two thousand when we finished up. When I left there. Um, I had a little bit of money put aside. There was a little bit of a payout. It wasn't a lot and a tiny bit of super. It wasn't a lot. And um, so I left there, went to Hobart and um, I stayed at my my wife's parents' place. That's where we stayed because I was going with my wife at the time and moved there. So I had accommodation. That mm. was fine. That was, that was another decision that was easy to make or was realistic because I had somewhere to stay while I found work. Um, so I hadn't found work uh, for a little while, but decided that because I decided I'd, I needed to find a place of my own to live in and not depend on them. And I remember I've, my whole working life, I've only ever been on a, a benefit for four months. In that four months, I was getting $96 a fortnight. 
That's not very much at all. And I got a, I got a unit, a little flat, and I was paying $46 a fortnight rent. Oh, my goodness. Uh, $46 a week. Sorry? Oh, my goodness. So, so you, you, when you asked me how did we nothing. survive, you've got, you got to think about that one. Oh, yeah. Part and I was living together, so she looked after the bills, I'd look after that. So you sort of learn value of money really, really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Another life lesson. And, um, yeah, so anyway, it wasn't long and I found a job in a timber yard. I stacked timber for a little while. And then I got another job come up. I was in a plumbing crew in Hobart for a little while, for about 18 months. And that guy, he was his business was going up and down, mm. you know, so it wasn't going really well. So I thought I'll, I'll bail out of this as well. And <laughs> um, I went to, went to the zinc works and stayed there for 32 years. Mm. So which yeah, it wasn't. It was paid the bills, it was a good job, but yeah, it probably wasn't it wasn't the best job, you know. Mm. But again, it was like coming from Mount Lowell. It was a big industry. It was a big, big factory, so it was sort of familiar. Yes. So I stayed there for a fair while. Um, and then my opportunity to leave there in 2009, mm. and um, which I did. I took a, I took a, a redundancy off of redundancies. So I cleared any debt I had and thought, all right, I'll, what will I do now? And I had been doing some volunteer work in, in a couple of organisations in the disability field yes. down there as well. I found that very, very interesting. So I thought, okay, I'll go back to school and get some qualifications and work in disability. And while I was exploring that avenue, I, uh, I was told about, you know, mental health is a really good field to get into. So let's have a look at that. So I went into mental health, uh, ended up in a crisis short of a homeless man as a, as a placement from from TAFE, mm. and my placement, and I never left there. <laughs> oh. They employed me while I was still doing my time, uh, put me on as a casual, and not long after I finished, I got my qualifications, um, and they put me on full time and I stayed there for 11 years. Ah, that, and that is such a that is such a drastic change. Absolutely, from what you had been doing. Mm. Mm. And did you feel did you feel more fulfilled in working Absolutely. in that area? I thought I should have done it years ago. Mm. You know, I was thinking that when I was doing some volunteer work, and people are like, this. I like doing this. Mm. You know, maybe this is what I should have done. Found your ago. calling. Well, same too. Yeah, if you put it that way, but it was quite good. It was a good job. I seem to remember from our past conversation that you created your own job there. Oh yes, that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's right. That's another little bit of ingenuity, I guess. Um, I had a new CEO, and they didn't really have a roster as such for the workers, the mm. fair few workers and casuals, and it was it was sort of all over the place. It was pretty much like most people were on a, a call-in basis. Mm. And the new CEO decided that she would like a, a roster. And um, so anyway, she produced a roster and it wasn't good. <laughs> she had people on one day on, one day off, one day not on, it was day good. So I thought we can do better than that. So I, I wrote a roster. I... Um, I based it on the roster I was working at the Zinc Works, mm. which was three on, three off, actually four on, four off, four on, four off roster. The Zinc Works was on 12-hour shift when I left. But because of the amount of people I'd done this a three on, three off, 
and wrote myself and another casual in as permanent part-time, <laughs> presented the roster and they accepted it. <laughs> so well, I was pretty grateful for that. Yes. So, but it did. It worked well. It, it, the guys, it was, and, and the women, we had a lot of female workers here as well. They were very, very happy with it. And gradually I, I worked, I continued to work on that roster for for the years I were there, changing, modifying things to suit the business, as they called it, the business. Um, and uh, finally got it to a, what did we end up with? Oh, the three on, three off was lots of three. So do three days, have three off, three afternoons, have three off, three nights, have three mm. off rotating forward. Worked well, but it was a bit quick, mm. especially the nights. And so we tried to. A four on, four off, um, which was a little better. And then, then a new CEO came along, and we were discussing how to get people off night shift because night shift's not a great roster. I mean, I, I worked years and years of shift work, mm. and it will it's, it can be quite detrimental. I reckon it's, you, you don't know where you are with shift work. They really don't. Mm, but then, yeah, when you never get to see the sun. Really. No, sometimes it's, it's pretty bad. But the four-on, four-off was okay because you, you do your you two 12-hour days, two 12-hour nights finished. So that, that worked a bit better. You you also just mentioned before that there were um, a number of women working in this male homeless shelter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how did that – how – how did that work? What was that? Because I imagine that, you know, with men that are in a vulnerable position, there are a lot of things that can come with that, a lot of uh, uh, depression, maybe some anger. Uh, what was the working environment like for the women there? Yeah, well, it was the, the same for all of us, mm. you know, and you had mechanisms in place where you kept yourself safe, mm. you know. Um, one of the caseworkers bringing people in the house would, do a, a very good uh, assessment of that client before they came in, and some of the clients were repeats. So you know, you know, but you did get the odd one or two that would, could be a little bit volatile, and you, you just sort of didn't find out about that till you know they, they flared up. But yeah, those those there was a system in place where you kept yourself safe in in the office mm-hmm. with a almost a screen in front of you to talk to, but you still had to go out and mix. With your clients at times. Do you have any memories of um, the, the stronger relationships that you built with some of your clients? Yeah, you had to be careful about what you say about relationships with clients. You had to treat every client the same. Mm. Um, so, like you always say, I can be friendly, but I can't be your friend. Mm. Yeah, and that's it. And and that's that's the professional side of. That, yes. that business, that's that's the way it has to be. Boundaries. Be- because if you get if you get really, really friendly with a client, you know, you become mates, mm. right, if they they breach one of the rules, house rules, and you have to... Reinforce that. You have to reinforce it's going to be hard. Or if they breach it and you don't because you're friends, well, you've just put your job mm. on the line and you've also made a rod for your own back where you're going to have every other client sees it and says, oh, you've done it for them, you know. Mm. So you see, so you have to really keep that. And I'd say nearly all but all, all the workers that were there um, would, may, would have maintained that professional boundary. Mm. Mm. 
I just, it, it seems like a very, it seems like a difficult profession. I couldn't have done it without training in that role. I, you know, you sort of know you're dealing with human beings. You, you treat people, mm. so you treat people how you want to be treated, but there's certain factors in within the role that you wouldn't know unless you'd actually done the training. Mm. So without that, you'd, you'd be a bit green. Yeah. <laughs> like we had one worker come in and she she, she just loved everybody, oh. you know, and um, but she'd, just, she'd give her own drink bottle to them. Oh. He be, don't do that. <laughs> boundaries, <laughs> boundaries. But teach them how to go and get their own drink bottle. Oh. <laughs> Encourage them to go and get their own drink bottle, you know, mm. stuff like that because yeah, most, of the, most of the guys that come in, they've, they're pretty much survivors. They've been homeless. Mm. They've been living on the streets. They've been living in squats. They've been, you know, yeah. they're pretty resilient, some of yeah. them. A fair few of them. And you've got the other side of your, your dependence, alcohol dependence, uh, drug dependence, a little bit different again. But, again, they, they can be quite quite a very strong survivor instinct. And then the other side as well, you've got um, your mental health clients that will be heavily reliant on the support. Mm. So it's it's a big mix. Yeah, but good job. I didn't like leaving it. <laughs> oh. But it was time to retire. It's this yeah. time I had to. So, you know, if I didn't, I'd still be there three or four years' time and going, oh, I should have retired and done some stuff I need to do. <laughs> you know, but it's certainly I've met in that in that role, I've certainly met some characters. Oh, I'm sure. You know. It's interesting that you bring up resilience because that is so often when I'm talking to people about the West Coast, that that's something that they bring up is that people that live on the West Coast, people that are living in Queenstown, they're incredibly resilient, strong-willed people. Mm. Um, Yeah, I, I think that there might be something in that, you coming from this very resilient background and then moving in and being able to show empathy and support for equally resilient people who have gone through difficulty. You could, you could be right with that. Mm. You could be right. That's, uh, my brother ended up working in disability. <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Is this Alan? Or Alan he, oh, yeah. my he, goodness. He ended up working in the disability field. Um, Your family's built for it. It sounds like it, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting life. That I just I don't know what it'd be like if I hadn't grown up here. Mm. You know, I don't know. I've just if I was given the option of growing up the same, mm. it would be here. It wouldn't be anywhere else. Oh, that's beautiful, mm. Mick. That's beautiful. It would be because you say I oh, you you are um, you're isolated. You know, a long way from anywhere. You didn't have much. You know, there's not much to do. Rubbish. There's not much to do. When when the trucks when the train stopped, right, and there was no carting by trucks, mm. we used to hitchhike out the road because we knew the trucks would be going past, and walk walk out to the Strawn Road and wait there and catch a ride on the trucks to Strawn yeah. so we could fish off the wharf. And we'd line up with the driver what time his last trip was, and you'd say you'd be here, you know, at the top of the hill, it's drawn at three o'clock, and I'll pick you up on the way back. So you always had a ride. Oh my goodness! Mum said, "Where have you been, Strawn? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Strawn? 
So, you know, he was home before tea time. That was surreal. <laughs> surreal. <laughs> oh, my There's goodness. A, we didn't have television, of course, until 1965. Ah, uh, yes, I've heard that's why the families were so big. Yes, and yes, you're probably right. And to make a phone call, we had to walk out the front door, up around the corner into uh, Preston Street, Raggedy Road, as we called it, and the phone box was there. Wow, my goodness. So, you know, it's just. Oh, that's a real trip. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, people just, you know, young kids today tell it, they go, what? <laughs> <laughs> And you still you remember the stuff. Christmas trees might be a um, young sassafras sapling. Oh, wow. Found growing on the hillside somewhere. Knock it down with a little axe and bring it home and decorate it for your Christmas tree. I wish they had photos of those. Yes. Sometimes we had a pine one, but you know, sometimes it was a sassafras. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and now, now you're, you're retired. Yes, Yes. What what is next? What's next for you in this new chapter in your life? Oh, just just fishing. Might go back to golf. Um, I, I bowl league a couple of nights a week, ten pin as well. I'm involved in a couple of poker leagues. I like playing poker. My goodness, you're incredibly busy. Oh, yeah, I I like it that way. Good. Yeah, but I do I do have some rest time as well. I make sure you know, I make sure I balance things out if you like. Hmm. Mm. And your reunion is coming up, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes. That's your high school reunion? That's the one. 50 years since we left high school. Uh, left high school in 1957, our class of leavers uh, and friends. We've, we've So basically we've opened it up to, because COVID now, a lot of our colleagues from the mainland won't be able to come. Mm. Uh, that's how it looks, sadly. Um, we've opened it up so basically the people who left high school I was in high school in those years or earlier years or later years. <laughs> <laughs> Basically anyone who's, who wants to come along could come along to that, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. There's something really lovely about a high school reunion and, you know, coming coming from all over different parts of the state and obviously it would be different uh, if COVID wasn't happening. Mm. But you know, com- coming from all these different places in Australia and, Coming to meet and and to celebrate your hometown. Yeah, yeah. And we, you know, we insisted on having it here, of course. Of course. We had one, we had one, I can't remember what year that was, 2006. Oh. We had one. That was was quite good. And then another reunion was here in 2016, which I was here for that, but it was um, the... 1966 leavers, 50 years. Wow. They're the ones that left high school in 66. Well, I was just leaving primary school in 66, so Mm. a little bit behind those. But I come up with Glenn Brown and Paul Norris and we had a little band, put the band together and (laughs) done some music for them, which was really good. It was good to catch up with a lot of people and that was great. There's people from all over. There's one guy flown in from Borneo. Oh, my goodness. One One of the brewers, I think he was. I remember his name now, yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's so they come from all over. Um, sadly, we've had a lot of interest from our colleagues on the mainland, but mm. it just doesn't look like it's going to happen. But we we cancelled it last year, mm. so we thought we won't cancel it this year. We'll push ahead with it and see how we go. Mm. So yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Oh, that would be lovely. Mm. That'll be lovely. Is there anything about the West Coast that you 
haven't said that you would like to say about your experience here and your connection? Not really, just thought it was a great place to grow up. Yes, it <laughs> does know? sound that way. And it's good to see that there, you know, there seems to be a bit of hope back in the place and tourism's picking up. And be good and and I know the the art community's growing here. Mm. I understand that as well. Uh, I was talking to an old friend, David Fitzpatrick, yesterday and the main street is he was in, putting an installation in for the um, unconformity. So, yeah, and that's good to see. It's, 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 I think what I'm saying here is that a few years ago the tide looked very, very, the town looked very, very tired. Mm. It, it looked that way and a lot of the houses were in disrepair mm. and there still are a few, but I have noticed there's a lot of places that's been spruced up. Mm. Um, a lot of nice gardens. A yes, lot of nice gardens, yes, lots of flowers, beautiful gardens. really, really bright around the place. And I think you know, perfect uh, time, springtime, everything's starting to <laughs> yes, bloom. It looks nice. Uh, it is probably slightly disappointing to see so much greenery, though. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, the bush. Oh, it's amazing how much it's, it's taken back. All the hills were bare. You yes, would have heard that. And you would yes. have seen photos of that, obviously. Uh, but I, I, even in the last five years, I can't believe how thick it's got. Mm. It is really, really thick up here, grains. It's, it, it, that is so different. I mean, there's hills. I look at hills we used to climb up. I, you wouldn't get up in there because of the bush. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. That didn't occur to me that there no. would be people climbing up them and. Just get you straight up, straight, you know, and, and there was a little bush here and there, but it's just, it is so thick, so green mm. everywhere. Everywhere. Mm. It's quite different. But anyway. That's nature. <laughs> it is. It, is. It, will, it will eventually claw its way yeah. back and take oh, hold. Oh, it will. It will. No, look, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that, the, you know, the town will survive on tourism. Who knows what's going to happen with the mine? Who knows, mm. you know, when the copper comes back or, and, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a big uncertainty still. But I think people are at a point where they've, they know not to be reliant on that and they probably have been for quite some time. Yes. That other things need to happen and, yeah, so that's about it. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm Thank so you. glad we were able to catch up while you mm. were in town and to, I, I, I love some of your stories are just absolutely hilarious. I, I love them. I can I feel like I can picture you, <laughs> a, a little six, seven, eight-year-old running around with your father almost falling out of the train. I just there's so vivid and wonderful memories. Oh, that's still pretty vivid, that one. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Off the quarter mile bridge. Oh. oh, gosh, it does. It makes you shudder. Mm. Well, truly, thank you so much, Mick. I really appreciate this. Thank you very much, Emily. This is local. This project would not be possible without the incredible community of folks who make time to chat nor would it be possible without the tremendous support of the West Coast community. If this episode offered you something good, please consider rating the show via Apple Podcasts. The podcast is produced by Carter Pierce and myself. Digital media is supported by Tess Gilfeder. Our artwork was made by Gigi Gortz. The podcast is funded in part by the Regional Arts Fund. For more information on the podcast and its guests, 
please go to localthepodcast.com or Local The Podcast on Facebook and Instagram.